Week 23, Managing Seasons. We've been on this story, um, David going from shepherd to king. He's been crowned, he has crowned his son Solomon, the next king. For those of you that missed last week, um, David had another son who was trying to become king because of the custom and culture of the time. The custom and culture is that a, a king's son will become the next king. What is a king's son called? The prince. That would That is the custom and culture that he will become the king, but... God had a different plan, and we talked about how we've got to stop becoming like the customs and culture and start letting God be in the decision-making. Amen? we got to stop trying to be relevant to a world and start changing it. I've always thought it was funny that we're trying to be relevant to something that's going to be destroyed. <laughs> culture changes like every other decade, and yet we're trying to keep up with it. And I think... God is good enough to say, listen, I'm coming to establish a kingdom culture. If you would establish among you, you would have no need to be relevant. You, I, I really and truthfully believe the more I'm reading this book, the less work we would have to do because I don't remember the disciples saying, let's go have an evangelism tour of the city. They got on their knees, sought God, and people flocked to them. But what we've done in the church is we say, let's make outreach an event. Let's go evangelize people. Let's go save the lost. And we're preaching hell to a generation that don't believe in hell. And the truth is that we need to become people who are getting on our knees and seeking God. And what I've been coming to realize more and more, we're not really on our knees seeking God. Because if we were on our knees seeking God, we'd never want to leave his presence. <laughs> we wouldn't want to leave his presence. And it will become so powerful and so moving that a movement would rise called the church and people would say, what is that? And it's crazy to, to speak that because we think, well, there's so many churches and people already see it, but they're not seeing how it was supposed to be designed. And I'm believing that we are entering into a new season at Relentless. I, as, as each chapter has gone on, God has, and not just for Relentless, but the church as a whole, we are just a part of the church. It's been very, it's been lining up very nicely, um, I, I believe intentionally, that as we're obeying God, as the story is unveiling, God is just giving us literal on-time words, and I believe we're going into a new season, but I believe that we've got to figure out what we're doing and in going into the new season, because what we've done in the church is we say, well, I'm tired of my season, I want a new one, I'm tired of being in this downward spiral, I want the new thing, we say, God, give it, God, when are you going to do it, when in fact the Bible reverses the roles and says, well, let me tell you how you move out of it. And what we've done is we don't seek God. We seek him to do something for us instead of just seeking his face just because we love him. We say, God, I'm going to seek you because I'm tired of my situation. I'm tired of my job. I'm tired of my home life. I'm tired of everything going wrong. And God's like, when did you come to me because you love me? You're asking me all these things without ever falling in love with me. And when we get that idea that our whole seeking is about falling in love with the maker, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, our father in heaven, when we start to realize that seeking is just falling in love and worshiping him and giving him praise, all the other stuff flows. But we're reversing the role and saying, God, bring another season. God's like, well, I've actually showed you how to manage your own and how to move from one to the other. So we come to this place where David's dying. And picking up in the story in 1 Kings chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. It says this. 
As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage. Be a man. Dang, David. He's like, man up, dog. (laughs) I'm dying. You're in charge. (laughs) Take courage and be a man. I find it interesting that he starts off his last words by saying, I'm passing from this earth. Take courage and man up. Because David knew from personal experience that Solomon needed two things in going to a new season. You're going to need strength and you're going to need courage. Because when you walk into a new season of authority in your life, a new level, a new place, you will be tested. There's no ifs, there's no maybes, there's no buts. You will be tested. And a lot of us are not adequately prepared for a new season we walk into because we don't expect the testing. And when the testing comes, you're so surprised that you don't know how to react. So you fall in a spiral of depression. You fall into anxiety. You don't know what's going on. When someone needed to just tell you, hey, you just got that promotion, take courage and man up. You just got a breakthrough, take courage, man up. God just delivered you, take courage, man up. We forget there are so many, we forget so many times that when the sign of the dove of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus, he immediately went into testing. He was going into a new season to start ministry. So the first thing was testing. And David knew, he's like, hey, I was an awesome heart player. I was a shepherd. I just herded sheep. I was like almost perfect. I hardly ever sinned. And a few years of being king, messed that all up. (laughs) We've seen the the story of David. He has been uh, on top of it. But he has also messed up again and again and again. And it's like when you think he would have learned something, it happens again. And that's kind of like us. We, we know the word and we, we live what we try to live as the Christian life and sometimes we just mess up again and again and again and then we start to kind of bring this judgment upon ourselves like I'm not worried, I'm not worthy to do this, why am I not getting breakthrough, why am I still stuck, why, 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 why and it's a simple word of have you gotten any strength and courage to endure? Testing comes from gaining gaining ground. And David says, Solomon, you're you're about to gain some ground and you're going to be tested and you're going to need some courage and you're going to need some strength. Not by what comes by your hand, but from God. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will not fail you. He will not abandon you. God, why are you calling to meet me to be strong and courageous? He says, because the new season you're going into, I've been there. And you're barely getting through this one. And don't think you can go to a new level and not strengthen the current weak places. Because if you don't strengthen what's weak now, the testing is going to get stronger, it's going to get harder, and I want you prepared. I want you to be courageous because where I'm taking you, you're not going to want to go. It's going to look scary. It's going to get you nervous. 
You're going to see attack like you've never seen. He says, I have personally gone ahead of you. So man up and get strong. Now we hear that, but here's the question in my mind. How? How do I get strong and how do I get more brave? Look at what he says in verse 3 of 1 Kings 2. Verse 3 comes after 2. There you go. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow his ways. It doesn't say work out. It doesn't say take a person. It, it, it says observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. The accurate and adequate way of strengthening and gaining courage is to follow the requirements of the Lord in everything. So you have got to look at everything you're doing and assess your weak places. What are the weak places? The places you are prone to disobedience. And if you do not take time to strengthen those, don't be surprised that you're failing again. Don't be surprised that you're hitting another dead end. Don't be surprised that you're going on another dead end road. You have got to strengthen. Keep the decrees, the commands, the regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, look, if then. If, if you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he has made to, to me. Isn't that interesting? We love to quote scripture that, oh, the Lord will keep his promises. No, no, no. The Lord will keep his promise if you. See, we, we, we have developed this culture in Christianity that says God will do it, God will do it, and that is not what the Bible is teaching us. It's very clear. If you, then I'll. I've made promises, I've given you these promises, and I will keep them. But it is up to you to unlock the promises. And you don't unlock it simply by saying, God, I want it. You unlock it by proclaiming him with your mouth and with your heart. You know how you proclaim him with your heart? Your desires change and your obedience increases. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he has made to you. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully, faithfully with their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. You see, David's reason for telling Solomon to strengthen up and be courageous wasn't just Solomon. It was generations to come that will always have the throne. And many of us don't understand that your obedience and your example is not just for you, but it will in fact affect the generations to come. One decision of eating a piece of fruit by a dude called Adam, we still dealing with it. Everything we do will affect generations to come. So David's saying, listen, you need to strengthen up and you need to get courageous because everything you do and everything you don't do is going to affect the next king and the next one and the next one and the next one. Why has God called us to be a body of believers connected? 
because we are to be pursuing him to such a degree that we understand that every single person has a significant weight of authority in the house of God to change this place, to bring heaven to earth. And if we're going to do it, we have got to pull together and go further and be obedient and follow these decrees. And we've got to be willing to link arms and say, you're weak. Well, I'm strong in that area. Let me pull you up. And where you're strong and I'm weak, pull me up and let's do this together. David says, Solomon, I want you to be better than me. Observe the laws of God. You know what he's saying? I ain't done it. And we're going to find out that David, he's always known as the man after God's own heart. He's written tons of songs. He's got, you know, books dedicated to the Bible. Everywhere through the Bible, including the birth of Jesus, Jesus, it's the lineage of David. It's David's kingly lineage. It's David, 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 David. But there are certain things that David was never allowed to do. Because of his own pitfalls and disobedience. He's saying, Solomon, you have got to get ready for this. And if you will observe the laws of God, it's going to keep you strong and it's going to make you brave. Matthew 6.33 says it like this. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. And then all these important things will be given to you abundantly. Some of us have read that, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But look at the way that says this. Seek after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. And then all the less important stuff will be given to you. I believe one of the biggest issues in the church is that you don't believe you're perfect. I'm I'm not perfect. Seek first the realm of God's kingdom and the right standing that proceeds from it. Josh, you are never doing that again. (laughs) This is your last day. Be strong and get courageous. (laughs) I was all in a serious moment too. Chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the right standing that proceeds from us. See, so many of us approach God not from a place of perfection, but from a place of not enough. And we have this, this, this skewed identity that we're, we're horrible and that we're sinners, and God's like, what do you not get about being covered by the blood? I no longer see your imperfections. I see your perfection, which is why I'm giving you the access to my kingdom and my inheritance. If you would seek perfection, your life would start to line up. What do I mean by this? Who believes that Jesus saves us from our sins? I heard a preacher say this this week, and it's changing my whole perspective. I've shared this with a few of you, but, but listen to this. If you truly believe that Jesus saves you from your sins then why are you waiting to die thinking that you will be made perfect? I'll only stop sinning when I die. Death is not your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. Now, I'm not saying we can get to a place where we can be walking sinless on earth. It's about wrapping your mind around the fact that I approach the throne who I am. I am perfect. I am righteous. I am pure. 
And because I approach him with that mindset, I have no issues bringing about what I'm dealing with. Because he doesn't judge me by what I'm dealing with. He judges me according to the righteousness that proceeds from him. So if I come to him perfection, I am righteous in his sight, then I'm not worried about the consequence of saying, Lord, look what I've done. I become more obsessed with God, look at what I've done, mold me into what you see me as. You know what seeking God is? Mold me. I boldly approach your throne. Bold is not, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. No, no, no. Bold is, I am your son. You're pleased with me. I'm in right standing with you. I'm not scared of death. God, I fear you. I respect you. I revere you. So here's my stuff. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take that and I'm going to make it work for your good. And all these things that will be given as an effect of seeking him with that mindset. Are we clear on this? It says... You will get everything you need to go into your season. It will come directly from obedience. You'll get your strength and you'll get your courage because you start to see yourself as the Father sees you. Why does he give us big tasks? Because he doesn't look at you as a sinner. If he did, he would never give you the task because you'd all have to be a failure. <laughs> look at verse 5. It comes after 4, Josh. <laughs> and there is something else. You know what Joab son of Zariah did, did to me? You know what Joab son of Zariah did to me when he murdered me, my two army commanders, Admiral son of Nair, Amasa son of Je, uh, Jether? He pretended that, was, that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, standing his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think is best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. Don't you wish that, like, God would give you one of those commands? Like, don't let that man rest in peace. You, 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 you make sure that he gets what he deserves. You see, after obedience, David says, Solomon, you're entering into a new season of authority. And there are some things that you're going to have to bring justice to that have been done wrong. You see, we're called to be bold, we're called to be strong, we're, be, we're called to be courageous, but we're also called to bring justice. And a lot of us only want to bring justice, but we don't know how to obey. So all the world sees is a very broad term called a hypocrite. Because we get more obsessed with let's make sure that people know that's wrong coming from a place where you haven't been obedient to any degree in your life with the Father. Once you learn to obey, then you use your authority under obedience to God to bring justice to a wrong because the wrong will no longer recognize you. It will rec recognize the authority of Christ in you. You see, we try to bring justice to things on our own accord. The only way to properly bring justice is from a place of seeking on your knees from the throne to where you are an obedient, per perfect, righteous son or daughter of the living God. Micah 6, 6 through 8 says it like this. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring them burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? 
Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No. No, O people, the Lord has told you what's good. This is what he requires. Do what's right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Bring justice. Do what is right. But we have become so obsessed with what can I bring God? What does God need from me so that I can get out of my crappy place? What does God need as an offering so that I can? And then, and then you hear people corrupt it. You ever hear those TV preachers? If you want to get delivered, you know, sow your $322 Proverbs 322 seed. God's like, no, I don't need that. If you, if you want to get out of your season, you need to be strong, you need to be courageous, and you need to do what is right from a place of obedience. Do what is right, bring justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with me. God says, I want your life to resemble mine. I need an offering of your life. Not your dues, I need your life. I need my light shining in you and my love poured out through you into things where wrong has taken place and there is injustice. Do not negate your call to bring justice. But it flows from a life of obedience. And justice is not judging that's wrong and that's right. Justice is I've seen wrong and I'm going to allow God to use me to make right what has been wrong. But what the church has become about is we stand on our platforms and we say, that's a sin. And you're not bringing justice to it. Because we haven't learned what true justice is because we're not seeking the Father. Can I get really real? This is what Christians do. Homosexuality is wrong. That's a sin. That's not justice. You know what justice is? I love you despite. I love you despite your lifestyle and because you're going to see the justice of God's love, it will change you. But we, oh, that's wrong. Oh, abortion. Let, let's have a movement and hold up signs saying it's wrong. You think that's going to convince them? You know what justice is? Hey, you made a mistake, but you're righteous in God's eyes. Hey, you just came out of there. Let, let me shower you with love. But we point and we say it's wrong and it's sinful, which it is. But that's not how you bring justice to a wrong. Look at what Jesus did. Look, look, look at his life. He found the outcasts and the people who were pointed out to be horrible people, justly done. They were sinners. But Jesus brought justice and says, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring my love out on you. I'm showing, I'm telling you what it is, but I'm bringing justice through my covenant. And they changed their life and saved their cities. Think, think about it. We, we, I was talking with someone earlier, the woman at the well. She was sack, shacking up with like seven people. She was thrown away to the side. Jesus called it out, poured out his love, and she went and changed the whole city. But we think justice is making sure everyone knows our stance. They don't need to know your stance. They need to see the justice. They need to see love poured out. Am I talking to anyone? 
new seasons. I'm strong, I'm courageous, I'm bold. I'm bringing justice. I'm bringing justice what's been done wrong the right way, not by necessarily saying this is wrong or this is right, but I am am responding to the injustice done with justice. But it's not just to the wrong things. Y'all look lost. Y'all okay? Look at verse 7. Be kind. Verse 7 comes after 6. There you go. Be kind to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shemaiah, son of Gera, the man from Baharim and Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Manaheim. When he came down to me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord I would not kill him. But that oat does not make him innocent. You are a wise man. You will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Now, we have more than just... Now, we're going to get to that in a minute. That's... <laughs> that's like, whoo. But at the very beginning of that passage, not only is he pointing out the people who have brought an injustice, but he also says bring justice to the people who have done right. And we are so obsessed with bringing justice to evil, but when was the last time we tried to bring justice to what's good? We get so consumed with all the wrong stuff. And the house of God is lacking with people who are doing right things, but they're lacking relationship. They're lacking confidence. They're trying to be bold, but they've got no support. Because we forget about the blessed part, the honor part, the build up part. Let's bring justice. Let's have a movement of God. Let's do this right. And we immediately go to the street and try to call out everything done wrong. Fix homeless stuff, fix recovery stuff. We try to make sure we, we feed everyone and clothe everyone. Try to make sure everyone knows that we don't support abortion. We try to make everyone know that we don't like homosexuals. We try to do, do, do this. And not once has someone come into the house of God and says, hey, you are loved. And I think a lot of times, you know, there, there, there's, a bit, there's a big separation of light and darkness. You know why people sin in lifestyle a lot of times? Because they're in darkness. What is darkness? They do not know. And then we've got believers in this room who are in light, meaning knowledge has been poured out, and we know, but they are so obsessed with those who don't know that they don't pour into the ones who know, and the ones that know are lacking the most. And they don't know how to be bold because no one's behind them. We read it last week. The prophet Haggai said, you are so busy building your campaigns that God's house is empty. God's house not meaning a beautiful steeple or a building. God's house is in the people of God. We have people in this room who believed in Jesus for 20 years and you don't know how to lead anyone in any sort of deliverance. You don't don't know how to pray for someone. You barely get through a blessing at Carrie Hilliard's. If you can't pray there, I mean, we, 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 we're not strong. The Christian life has, let's say, a salvation prayer so that we can have eternal security in Jesus and we don't learn anything. And those very people spend money on missions trips 
and homeless and let's take care of this and let's take care of that and no one's growing in their authority in Christ. That's the issue with the church. Can I, can I get even more? Think, think, think about how churches are growing today. Small groups. Let's get small groups because these people are not burning for God enough that we have to program something for them to make friends. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. We've got to spend resources so that y'all can build relationships. That's what the church is, is believing. Well, I'm not talking about y'all, you know, because this is like the perfect church. But like, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. For real, I know y'all. Um, <laughs> but the, that's what, and I'm not speaking against those things necessarily. They have good fruit. I'm not bashing them. But I'm saying this is where we've gotten. Justice to wrong, justice to evil, but no justice to good and David's like hey take care of both when transitioning from season to season we need to make sure that one thing is at our focus and it's simply honoring God look at Ephesians 3 20-21 now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think glory to him and here it is in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever, amen. Glory to God and the people of God, and glory to God through generations. Raising up sons and daughters. Everything we do is for God's glory. And he says this is how God gets glory, through you and through generation to generation. But we've made God's glory about let's come together and sing some songs to give God glory. And God's like, that's not glory unless those songs are truly coming from your heart. Thousands of people singing my name does not impress me, is what God says. Thousands of people who seek me coming together singing, that's what gives me glory. It's not the thing, it's the, the house. It's the people, and it's the generations. And David gets this. He's saying, look at where I've gotten. Look at God's glory that has been manifested. He's saying, it's got to continue through you. So you get ready for this next season. You're going to need to be strong. You're going to need to be courageous. You need to bring justice to evil, and you need to bring justice to good. And you need to do it all for his glory, not yours. And then in verses 10 through 12, and then David died, and he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron, 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. David was a shepherd, a soldier, an outlaw, a king, a fugitive, a sinner, a saint, a songwriter. And through it all, at the end of his life, all he was worried about was one thing. Did I fulfill my promises to God and honor him? Because going back to the verse, remember the part that said, like, hey, you're a wise man. You'll know how to arrange a bloody death for that dude. 
You know, you want to know why he said it? Because he says, God told me not to touch him. That job is for you. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in doing that we forget there's a whole new generation coming up. I don't have time to seek God because we've got so much to do. Well, what if the doing was never meant for your hands? But your seeking raises up a generation who will take the hand to the plow. I don't have time to do this because look at how this world is falling apart. But what if your role is to seek God and create a culture where you can give a charge to a Solomon? Hey, you know how to do it? Now go. Like, we get, we get so scared of end times. The world's coming. Let's throw that away for a second. What if we just wrapped ourselves up in seeking him? And in seeking him, understanding how to pass that on to another generation. And there will be assignments you're given. There will be things to do. But not everything is for us and not everything is for now. But we're not seeking him. Our aim is not glory to God. Our aim is look at what we've accomplished. I mean, you think about it. If you ask people, like, you know, do you love your church or what's the church doing? It's, oh, yeah, um, you know, 3,000 people got baptized last year, and we had a bunch of money come in, and we, we, say, we, we, we had so many baptisms last year, and they don't talk about anything in their personal growth. And we wonder why we're not changing culture, because we're not growing. We spend more time taking care of people groups in Amazon, which is a good thing, but there's people in his house here that don't know who they are. And I could still ask you that, and some of us would say, I know who I am. I'm saved. But do you know who you are? Simon walked with Jesus for three years and still had to be convinced that he wasn't Simon. Do you know who you are? Because earlier, when we talked about getting our minds wrapped around that we are perfect, it was Oh, that's blasphemy. Do you know who you are? Maybe your view of who you are is exactly what's holding you back from going into your new season because the person who you truly are is the only one that can manage the next season. And you won't go into it because you can't get your mind wrapped around your true identity. <laughs> so it's all right? So David's life is over. His last words were on how to manage this change in season, strength, courage, be obedient, bring justice to evil, bring justice to good, and honor vows you've made with God. And it seems like that's it. But if you read more through the scripture, you'll come into these books of 1 Chronicles, chapter 1 Chronicles that mirror 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. It's the same stories, but with a little bit more detail. And if we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, we're going to see the exact same charge to Solomon with a little bit more detail. So this is what, is this, okay, verse 1. 
David summoned all the officials of Israel to Jerusalem, the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the army divisions, the other generals, the captains, the overseers of the royal property, the livestock, the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the other brave warriors in the kingdom. David rose to his feet, which was a big deal. Because remember, he is on his deathbed, and he is so weak that he can't stay warm, and a young, beautiful virgin in his bed can't get the man to do a thing. That man weak. David rose to his feet and said, my brothers and my people, it was my desire to build a temple where the ark of the Lord's covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. Do y'all remember the conversation a long time ago in the story? David said, hey, I want to build you a beautiful, a beautiful temple, God. And God's like, that's not your job. I want you to build your palace and establish a kingdom. David's saying, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a temple where the ark of the Lord's covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations for building it. But God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name because you're a warrior and you have shed much blood. Now that can be confusing because you're like, well, didn't God tell David to shed the blood? Yes. But just because God gives you one assignment doesn't mean you're qualified for all the others. It is a sacrificial life. Sometimes your life may have, maybe every assignment God gives you has nothing to do with you and you've got to be okay with that. You want to, you mean be real transparent? The assignment on my life is to make your life about everyone else's. Kyle, build a church where everyone else gets better than you, preaches better than you, teaches better than you, looks better than you, talks better than you, does everything better than you so that you will be forgotten. That, that is literal, y'all, y'all laughing, but that's, that's literally the, what God has told me. Build a church where people will forget you. All right, I'll do that. David, I need you to shed some blood. I need you to get ready for the temple but I'm never going to give you the honor of laying one brick. Walk humbly with the Lord. Verse 4, Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. He's chosen the tribe of Judah to rule. And from among the families of Judah, he chose my father's family. And from among my father's sons, the Lord was pleased to make me king over all Israel. And from among my sons, for the Lord has given me many. I find that funny David says that. No, you've been marrying 25 women is why you got many. He says he chose Solomon to succeed me on the throne of Israel and to rule over the Lord's kingdom. He said to me, your son Solomon will build my temple. And his courtyards, for I've chosen him as my son, and I will be his father. God says, your son that you had with Bathsheba, that woman you met bathing on a roof, that you sent your best friend to the front lines to die, that son, that's who I'm using. I'm going to let him build the thing that you always wanted to build. 
And what's interesting is what this is referred to in this passage, the temple. It says the temple where the presence of God could rest like a footstool. And he said the reason David can't build it is because he didn't have rest in him. He was a warrior. He fought. He shed blood. He had an assignment. And I believe what God showed me is that breakthrough in your next season is dependent upon who and what you are. Because we're always about fight, 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 fight. We sing songs. This is how I fight my battles. And, you know, every song is about, you know, victory in Jesus and victory and victory and victory and victory. But when was the last time we sung a song about rest? And we wonder why we're not building houses where we can rest in his presence. Because we don't understand the importance of rest. We only look at the benefit of fighting. Think about, he says, seek me in the secret place and you will find It's all right. David played a role as a man of war, but in that role he could not build a place of rest because his role was not in resting. Solomon later on is referred to as a man of rest. Only a man of rest could build the place where the presence could rest. We want to build a house of deliverance. We got to be a house that gets delivered. And you don't get delivered by coming up the front to an altar call and get prayed for over the same junk every Saturday or every Sunday. I I was talking about this with people this week. Like, think about this. This is when we think, let's come to the altar, this is what we think of the altar. And God's like, you're the temple. The altar is you. You are the altar. You can get in front of him any moment, any second. But we've forgotten how to seek. We're trying to build a, houses where we deliver people, but we're not delivered. We're trying to build a house where let, you know, we, we want to have a free house. We want to be a church that's, that's in freedom. And no one knows what freedom looks like. We want to build churches that change culture and all the churches look like the culture. We want to build churches with great praise bands and all the praise bands sound the same. You really think God's scope of music is limited to a genre? But we don't seek anything. We don't ask anything. We look at what works and we copy and paste hoping for a move. And if you remember Adonijah, David's son last week, All he did to try to get a throne was he copied his older brother's moves. And we think that if we do the right programs and do what was working for everyone else, that we're going to build God's house and God's like, no, 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 seek me. Because my ways are higher than all your ways. My thoughts are higher than all your thoughts. The plans I have for you, no one's even seen them. So why are you going off of plans to get somewhere that they haven't even been to? We've got to open our minds up, y'all. Those things work for some people. But that's not the normative. 
we got to stop looking at culture trends and, and, and just, if we want to get to a season of a move of God, let's, let's become what we're trying to get to. Think, I think the Holy Spirit calls someone. I mean, are, do, do y'all understand? Are, are, y'all, are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? We've got to become seekers. We pray, we need a move of God. We need a touch of God. We need to get here so that we can feel this, we can get feel it. And God's like, what do you not understand about the fact that I am in you? I need to get to church because I need a move of God. God says where two or more gather, he is there. If you live with a family, there is more power, there is just as much power in your living room with your kids as at church with 70 adults who really live a life probably not looking like what we're doing right now. (laughs) Can we be real? And we're all striving, but we all mess up. I'm not trying to put that over everyone, but I'm trying to paint you a picture. We have made seeking God all about this. This is not how you seek. This is seekers coming together to praise what he has shown us in our private seeking of rest. This is not where you come to get it. This is where we come into agreement with it. And sometimes we need to understand something that the glory is through the generations and for his house. And we've got to be willing to accept something as we're about to see with Solomon that there is something that is offered to us that is quite powerful. David was never allowed to build a temple. He was glorified in his, in his humility of, of not touching what God did not allow. And he gives a charge to Solomon. And I wonder sometimes, are we willing to do all the work and gain the resources so that someone else can be obedient with what we have earned? And this is where he goes in verse 6, 1 Chronicles 28. He said to me, your son Solomon will build my temple, its courtyards, for I have chosen him as my son. I will be his father. And if he continues to what? Obey my commands and regulations as he does now. I'll make his kingdom last forever. So now with God as our witness and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. Not so that you could be made great, but so that you could leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. Your victory is not just about you. It's future generations. Let me say it another way. Jesus' victory over the grave was not just about his glory. It was also about yours. Let me show you in Colossians 1, 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the what? Inheritance that belongs to his people 
who live in the light. Not inheritance that belongs to people who profess Jesus as Lord. Inheritance to people that live in what they profess. fact of the matter is, if you're not moving from one season to another, it's because you're not living in a, in a, a season of light that moves you from season to season or otherwise known as glory to glory. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Because of what Jesus did, you have permission to an inheritance from God and you get it through being strengthened, patient, enduring, humble, and being thankful and filled with joy. You have to live in what you want to access. But what we've been taught is just pray and it'll come. God's like, no, 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 Prayer's part of it. But you have got to live in where you want to be. You cannot live in wealth if you cannot manage your lack of wealth. You cannot go cast out demons if you can't cast out your own. You can't inspire people if you struggle with being inspired. You have to become what you want to enter into. I cannot build a house as a pastor that disciples people until I do what? Disciple people. And that's not in, just in preaching and teaching. It's giving up more of my time to have one-on-ones and disciple people that I believe in. And encouraging you to do the same. We cannot become until we start walking into what we want to get to. That's why David's like, Solomon, you better get courageous and brave now because you're going to need it. You're going to need to bring justice to the good and bring justice to all this past stuff if you, if you want to learn how to do it in your reign. And then we see this. Is this okay? And then we see this detail of obedience. Look in verse 9. I'm getting, some, I'm, I'm getting to the end. Solomon, my son, learned to know the God of your ancestors intimately worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind for the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and every thought as if you could dupe God by giving him good worship in church let me remind you that most of the men that tried to rebel against David which was his sons they started every campaign with worshiping God it was sacrificing all the stuff that God required. They did the right stuff. But God's like, I, I, I know your every thought. I know what your true motives are. See, you can go through the, the giving God the offering of coming to church every week and, and saying a prayer at meals and doing all these things. That, that don't mean crap. Just because I go shopping at Target don't mean I believe all the morality. I like Target. Get over it. But with church, we think just because we're in there is what we become.
He says, if you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his, as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. David tells Solomon, the secret to my rise and my success was I had an intimate relationship with my father. And we all want to go out and save the world with no intimacy in the secret place. David's like, you got to take this seriously. And what if you're stuck in a season because the secret place takes you to the new season, but you can't develop your secret place because you're not that in love with him? And I don't know if you know this, but love is an action. And sometimes you got to pursue a relationship with him to fall in love with him. A relationship that the Holy Spirit has moved you into. It says no one comes to the Father except through me. The Holy Spirit moves you unto salvation. But it's not just so you can profess a one-time prayer. He's moving you into a secret place, an intimate place, a place of rest. Because you know what God calls you as? God says you are the temple of God. You. Not, not, not place. You are the temple. And if you're the temple, he says, I want you to build my temple so that my presence can do what in it? Rest in it. But the presence of God cannot rest in something that is not managed and that is not obedient and that's not under submission. Maybe we need to stop looking at sin as this is going to punish me and start looking at sin as this is a mark of where his presence can't rest. His presence cannot rest in my blank. So I want to manage that area so that his presence can rest. And I believe that if we would start to do that, we'll be ready for other seasons. God, sin revival. God's like, I can't even dwell in you. I'm in you, and I want to work through you, and I talk to you all day, but you never have a conversation with me. And the only time you talk to me is with a bunch of people once a week. You want me to rest in that? Verse 11, then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storerooms, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, the inner sanctuary, which was the place of atonement. David also gave Solomon all the plans he had in mind for the courtyards of the Lord's people, the outside rooms, the treasuries, the rooms for the gifts dedicated to the Lord. The king also gave Solomon the instructions concerning the work of the various divisions of the priests and the Levites in the temple. He gave specifications for the items in the temple that they were to be used for worship. David obviously sought God a lot. He had a lot of detail. David gave instruction regarding how much gold and silver should be used to make the items needed for the service. He told Solomon the amount of gold needed for the gold lampstands and the lamps and the silver for the silver lampstands and the lamps, depending on how much each was to be used. He designated the amount of gold for the table on which the bread of the presence would be placed, the amount of silver for other tables. David also designated the amount of gold for the solid gold meat hooks used to handle the sacrificial meat and for the basins, the pitchers, the dishes, as well as the amount of silver for every dish. David got a lot of clarity. 
He designated the amount of refined gold for the altar of incense. Finally, he gave him a plan for the Lord's chariot, the gold cherubim whose wings were stretched out over the ark of the Lord's covenant. And look at verse 19. Every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Not from his prophets. From the hand of the Lord. And we spend so much time saying, God, what do I do? When do I do it? How do I do it? When? Who? What? And God's like, you see the detail that I gave David? He got it because he spent time with me in an intimate place every single day. We have made God so distant that we don't understand that in seeking his voice becomes so prominent that every detail you need for every step you got to take, he wants to place in your hands. Because God is not in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> he is. Let, let the heavens awaken in you. Some of you get that. He's, he is right here. It's like, seek and you'll find it. Ask and you'll receive it. And I really believe that the reason David got so much detail for the temple is because David accepted the reality. I'm going to get all the vision and I'll never get to put my hand to it. I'm going to get every blueprint for the, the dwelling place of the resting presence of God and I'll never see it. Because God says, I know your every thought. And is the reason you're wanting this because you're just seeking me? Or because you want people to see what you've built? David got the plans and he would give it to the next leader. And your next season so many times can be dependent on you getting clear direction and assignment from the result of seeking and then David says something that we always forget in the church world. Dave, verse 20, then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Someone shout, do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, he's with you. He's not going to fail you or forsake you. He'll see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. The various divisions of the priests, the Levites will serve in the temple of God. Others with skills of every kind will volunteer. The officials in the entire nation are at your command. This is literally the call to the church. You're going to get all the volunteers you need, all the skills you need, all the talents you need. You're going to get all the elders you need. You're going to get all the, all, all the people you need. I made all of your priests anyways. You're going to get who you need, but you can't just communicate about it. You can't just dream about it. You can't just cast a vision. You can't just praise God. You've got to do the work. And when it's time to go into the next season, you've got to do what you received clarity on that was granted to you in your current season. We so many times say, God, give me an answer. Give me clarity. And God's like, I've given you clarity and you're still waiting on the next. You haven't done anything in the now. I hate my job. I'm miserable at work. It's called a mission field. 
You think Jesus had like great days every day? He healed people and they were like crucify him. He made the lame walk and they were like, he ain't God. And when someone calls you a liar, you. When someone calls you fake, you, it's like we get set off. But when God calls you righteous, we don't bat an eye. When God says you're called and you're chosen and you're a royal priesthood, we won't accept that identity. Oh, no, no, not me, not me. God's like, yeah, you. But you know what? You're still sucking. You're still stuck in baby season. <laughs> stuck. 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 You're still stuck in a. <laughs> I'll need to shut up and listen to the word of God. <laughs> you're still stuck in season one. And you're on fire. And you, you never. You're, you're, you're never moving because we're not managing our seasons. We're not doing anything. I hope y'all are getting something out of this other than a laugh. I got about nine more verses and we're done. The King David, verse Chronicles 29.1, turned to his assembly and said, my, he's going to do it. He says, my son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, he's young and he's inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous. The temple he will build is not for mere mortals, it's for the Lord God himself. Let me just say something right there. God gives assignments that are too big for one man to carry out. That's why he designed a body called a church. So in verse 2, he says, using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of God. And now there's enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones, costly jewels, all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now because of my devotion to the temple of God that I will never see, that I'll never have a part in, I am giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the build materials I've already collected for the temple. He says, I am giving you all of my treasures for God's work to be completed. Matthew 6, 19 says it like this. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal them, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. He says, if your desires are truly in me, give me your treasures so that I can pour them out on the church, not just your house. Because it's not all your treasure. It's not about you. It's his plan. And we've got to understand that his plan is not just for relentless. It's not just for that church. It's not, it's for the people of God. And it's not even just for the people of God. Let me get really real on you. You know what God's plan is? It's the earth. 
He says, my plans is for this creation that you fouled up and I gave you authority to steward. I need your treasure and your skill so that I can use you to restore what's been lost. Because I did not create the earth and put myself on it. I created the earth and walked with the thing I created to steward what I made. And I walked with that creation. And you have forgotten how to walk with me. And you want your next season? You know what the next season was after not walking? Cain killed Abel. You, you, you really don't want your next season if you're not walking with God because you will fail and sin will triumph. And the last verse is 1 Chronicles 29.4. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today. And then the family leaders and the leaders of the tribe of Israel, the generals, the captains of the army, the king's administrative officers, all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. The people joined in and offering their treasures because they understood the value of what was going on. They were building the temple of God. You know what this whole picture is? David managed his transition out of this world. And a great example of how we need to manage every transition in and out of our lives. David was dying. And what filled him with joy was when he saw the people understood what his entire existence was for, not him. David did everything for the next generation to build what David built a kingdom to get resource for, all from seeking. And I'm not saying that God's not going to do great things for you. God is. He says, I have plans for you. I want to prosper you. I want to see greatness in you. But the greatness and the prosperity is never about you. It's about building what's mine. How are you managing your seasons? Manage them in such a way that God gets glory in all you're doing and all you're seeking. And in all of your obedience, you will be ready for every test and every trial. And just like David, at the end of your life, God will say one thing. He won't look at you and say, look at this sin, look at this sin, look at this sin. He'll say, you are a man or a woman after my heart.
That's all he wants. I think the biggest thing we can take away from the reign of David, the story of David, is one thing. Seek God. And if we would just start to seek him, the presence of God would rest on his church in such a powerful way that we would change this world. You know why? Because everyone's seeking rest. They want peace. They're tired of their lives. They're tired of the hurts. They're tired of the pain. They're tired of the revolving door. They're, they're, everyone's tired. And God's like, yeah, I want to build a temple called rest. So seek me and build it. So church, in 2020, let's seek him and build a place of rest. Amen.